If you're going to have a great year, you need to ask yourself this question. What is the spiritual hunger of your soul? Whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-Christian, what's the spiritual hunger of your soul? Thank you for joining us on the Walking with Christ podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Lavender. It is our desire to see you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ as you are daily walking with Him. The new year is upon us. Have you ever wondered how the coming year can be better, more productive, more happy, or more enjoyable than the previous year? Well, today we embark on a short series that will help you get started on the road to a better year than the one you may have experienced. So without further delay, let's get right into our lesson. If you open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 19, we want to talk about a particular topic that may be on all of our minds. I want to talk about how to have a great year. How to have a great year. As we end this year, this year has come and gone. It'll never be seen again, you know, and there's always things that we think about at this time of the year as we move from Christmas and into the the New Year's celebration. We always think about the things that we could have done, the things that we should have done, the things we weren't able to do, and it can be kind of of a downtime. But then we can also think of the triumphs and great things that God has done for us in our life and the great opportunities that were uh, presented to us throughout the year that we got to take advantage of. I want us to think about the topic today of how to have a great year. Don't you want to have a great year? I know I want to have a great year. So let's look at Matthew chapter 19, and uh, we'll look at verse 16, and we'll read through verse 30. This is the story of the rich young man who approached Jesus. So it says here in verse 16, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. And he, the gentleman, saith unto him, Which? Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, honor thy father and thy mother, and thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The young man saith unto him, All these things I have, or all these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? Jesus said unto him, If thou wilt be perfect, go and sell that thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle and for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Well, who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And every one that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. But many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Wow, that's an interesting uh, conversation that Jesus has both with the rich man and then with his disciples afterwards. And a lot of these questions that both the disciples have asked and the rich man uh, has asked Christ is the questions that we all ask from time to time, uh, before we got saved and, and after we've become Christian. And so Jesus answers some basic questions. You know, we, people want to know what, how to have eternal life. You know, the world is rife with religion. The world has religion coming out its ears. In fact, there's so much religion, there's even the religion of man himself called humanism. And uh, atheism is a type of religion of, in, in its own kind of way. It's the religion of, of self. I am the end of all things. That's the religion of self. And that's what atheism teaches. You know, currently there's uh, going on uh, right now in, in certain circles, and, and you're hearing little tidbits of it, but several years ago it became quite a topic of conversation in academia and other places and in science journals and such. This thing called transhumanism. This is where uh, men and machines merge and, and all this. And so when you dig into this, and I had to do a paper on the image of God and, uh, back in my seminary uh, time with my master's degree, and I, I looked at this and it was interesting to find that the people who are promoting this and the people who started this idea of transhumanism, their whole idea is to live forever and to reach the heavenly realm, to reach the divine realm, if you please, by merging uh, people's consciousness, their souls, if you please, with these machines that go on and on forever and forever. It doesn't run out like your body does. So it's man trying to engineer, if you please, eternal life. Well, we all know that's kind of a fallacy because the Bible says absent from the body, present with the Lord. And so we know the opposite is also true. If you're not a Christian, absent from the body means you're present with the devil and Satan in hell. So these guys trying to take your spirit, your essence out of your body and put it in a machine, you know, like some science fiction uh, movies have pretty much, you know, hypothesized about. Guess what? Uh, you're dead. Okay, there isn't going to be no such thing. And God will not be, <laughs> as the old commercial a few years ago say, he, God will not be undersold, okay? So as we look at this, David Jeremiah, he's a famous preacher on the radio. He had a quote in an article he wrote, and it says here, we do in sports, or we exercise in sports, or we example in sports the things we do in life. God did not create us to live our lives trying not to lose. He created us to win. That's a great thought. We're all winners, right? The idea is all winners. The human potential movement comes from the premise that we all have the ability within us to be the best we can, and it's our job and our duty to maximize that. That's where this whole idea when you watch these sports figures, just believe in yourself, okay? It's the human potential movement, okay? And it's a kind of humanism. It's, a, it's an element of humanism. But, you know, the idea here is we're all created to win. And we all want to be winners. Okay, let's face it. We all want to succeed, right? Winning is, an, is a synonym for the word success. We all want to be successful. We all want to feel like and have the perception that when we come to the end of our days, we've had more or less a successful life by at least human standards. 
Those of us that know Christ as our Savior want to enter glory with God giving the pronouncement, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We want to have that assurance. We want to, we're striving for that uh, word of encouragement and commendation from God Almighty. But we got to ask ourselves, wouldn't you want to be a winner in life this year? I mean, all, we all want to be success. We all want to have success this year. So in our text, we read of Christ's conversation with a rich young ruler. Now, the Bible just says here, it says that uh, he was just a, a young man. But in other parts of the, of the Gospels where this is recorded, we understand he was a, a rich man. So it says here, if we look at this, you know, the, the, this episode comes at the end of a series of events and teachings in the life of Christ. We read of the transfiguration of Christ in Matthew 17, just a couple of chapters previous. And then Christ and his disciples are returning to Capernaum when they meet the lunatic that the disciples could not cure, and then Jesus heals, it, heals this person. And then Jesus teaches in Capernaum on paying taxes and sinful temptations and forgiveness in Matthew 18. Then we come to Matthew 19, in the first 15 verses, Jesus teaches on divorce and faith and the faith of children. And finally, we come to our text in which Jesus is confronted by this man asking about eternal life. In this passage, Christ deals with the common error held by most Jews. What was that error? The basic teaching of this error is that if someone had financial prosperity and social influence, that they had God's special blessing and favor. This also uh, implied that they were also more worthy of inheriting eternal life or were insured of, of eternal life because of God's apparent physical and material blessings. So error was is that if I'm wealthy, if I have social status, if I have respectability, social credibility, and I'm living pretty much a good life, if you please, that I have God's favor. And since I have God's favor in material things, then I must have, obviously, God's favor in spiritual matters. And so, therefore, there's this idea that, that, that's been permeating and been going on in, in humanity that somehow eternal life can be obtained by these other things. All right? Maybe not directly, but in some cases there are religions that teach and, and, and there's certain philosophical teachings that, that go this way, but maybe indirectly. Okay, that's why the prosperity teaching and the prosperity gospel, they call it, is so appealing to a lot of people is because it teaches this very thing, that if you work and obtain and have financial means and material means and all this other kind of thing, then you have God's blessing on your life. And, you know, God isn't going to bless, only, you know, so the opposite is true. So if you don't have these things, you don't have God's blessing. And so Jesus is confronting this error. The Jews believed this. The Jews believed that they were God's chosen people. God promised to prosper them. And so if, if somebody individually was prospering, they had an extra special blessing on their life. And so there was this error that went on. This is why it caused the disciples to question Jesus afterwards. So the purpose of the passage is to teach that the rich young ruler and those presents, especially the disciples, that there are no privileged or blessed people who will inherit eternal life by merit. Now think about that. The purpose of the passage and the purpose of this interaction between Jesus and the rich ruler and the disciples and others that are looking on is, is Jesus is teaching all present that there are no privileged or blessed people 
who will inherit eternal life by merit. Remember, in their thinking, the, the, this, rich, this rich young man was blessed. He had an extra special blessing. Okay, so extra special blessing meant extra special favor, which in indirect kind of way meant extra special grace. So everyone, we must remember that everyone must come to salvation in the same manner by responding to the same gospel through confession of sin and repentance toward Christ and belief in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4. through 4. So from our text, we can glean several ways that a person can have a better year than the previous year. The rich young ruler serves as our example and our basically our antithesis or our antithesis to winning in life and having a great year. Winning in life from Jesus' perspective is not accumulation of stuff, and it's not an accumulation of money, it's not an accumulation of social acceptance or notoriety. So as we embark on another year, I want to encourage you by saying it is possible, it is possible for all of us to have a greater year than our previous years. Every year as Christians, we should be growing in our faith and walk with Christ. We can both be winners in this life and our faith in the coming year. You can do that. It is possible to be a winner, but you have to define what winning really is. You have to define what success really is. So considering our text in God's Word, I want to present some reasons how everyone or every believer can have an outstanding year this year. You say, well, how do you do that, Pastor Bill? How do we have this great year? Well, first of all, by recognizing your need and dependence on Jesus Christ. It starts by recognizing your need and dependence upon Jesus Christ. Let's look at verse 16. It says here, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do? that I may have eternal life. Now, we pick on the rich young ruler a lot, don't we? Okay, pastors, preachers, you know, evangelists, others, we like to pick on the rich young ruler, just like we like to pick on Peter and his failures and foul paws. And the rich young ruler really kind of illustrates something for us. The rich young ruler knows that he has a spiritual need, that of obtaining eternal life. He has a hunger in his soul. He senses there's something lacking in his life. And so he comes to Jesus, who at this point has a lot of social notoriety, is a spiritual leader and things like that. And so an authoritative figure, a rabbi, okay, Jesus looked upon as a rabbi. That's what the word master means. So he comes to Jesus and he asks these questions. What good things shall I do that I might have eternal life? So in essence, the rich young ruler is seeking out Jesus to resolve his need. So he's a first century seeker, if you please. Remember a few years ago, the term seeker-sensitive churches? The rich young ruler is the first century version of a seeker. He's seeking satisfaction for his soul. He realizes he has a need, and he comes to the one he thinks is going to satisfy that need. And that's the way all of us ought to be. You know, even as Christians, we need to always recognize that Jesus is the source. See, there is nothing wrong with a man's question to Christ about obtaining eternal life. You know, some people will preach it as a sarcasm, but it's not. It's it's a genuine question, and Jesus, I think, answers it from a genuine perspective, that the man was really being genuine about his question about inheriting eternal life. However, by examining the mitigating factors motivating the young man to come to Christ, his approach is reasonable. 
What must I do eternal life? I mean, you and I would be the same way. We would come to Jesus if we were in the, in the same situation. You know, what must I do to inherit? It's a genuine question. He's not being sarcastic. He's not trying to be necessarily, in my opinion, he's not necessarily trying to be a provocative in nature. He's asking a genuine question. And his basic question resonates with everyone seeking God in answer to the spiritual angst of their souls. What does he say? Let's read it once again. He says, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? The very question tells us that he doesn't think he has eternal life. He hasn't attained enough. He hasn't done enough yet. And so he's coming to the only one that he thinks has the answer to that question. He's seeking God. He's seeking an answer from God. He doesn't realize it, but that's in essence what he's doing. When we think of the rich young ruler, we also need to think of Hannah. Who was Hannah? Well, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 10 through 20, Hannah was a woman who was barren. And in Old Testament times, a barren woman was considered cursed of God. And so she was very sorrowful about her condition. And so what does she do? She prays. And she prays earnestly to God that, that he answers her prayer. And God and Hannah knew that God was the only one who could satisfy her spiritual hunger and physical setback as a woman. She came to God. When all was said and done, when all she finally got to the point where she came to God. We also think of the Philippian jailer as well. Over there in Acts chapter 16, you know, Paul and Saucer in jail there and big earthquake happens and the Philippian jailer was in fear of his life after the sudden earthquake and the doors opened. He thought all the prisoners had escaped. And Paul and Silas were singing unto God. No doubt the jailer knew why they were incarcerated. And the jailer came to Paul and Silas because he understood these were men who could point him to Christ. Now, the Philippian jailer, Thought his life was in danger. Thought his life was going to end. Thought he was going to be executed for losing all those prisoners. And of course, we know from reading the passage that, that Paul instructed and made sure that none of those prisoners escaped. He said, we're all here. Do thyself no harm. And so what does the Philippian jailer do? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And so Paul told him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And so we know that the Philippian jailer, in faith, called out to Jesus Christ and became converted to Jesus Christ. So the rich young ruler recognizes his spiritual need. He recognizes that Christ has the answer to his need. We understand from Scripture that Christ is the only avenue, the only avenue by which we can experience salvation or gain a resolution to our spiritual need. See, in Matthew chapter 11, in verse 28, Jesus has the great invitation when he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the only solution to that spiritual need you have in your life, which is identified in this text as heavy laden and laboring and needing rest. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says this, Neither is there salvation in neither, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Implication, Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There's only one way to obtain eternal life. 
the rich young ruler comes to Jesus Christ and in his ignorance of not realizing he's talking to God himself, he asks this question. And Jesus, being God, knew the thoughts of his heart and knew the intent of his heart and answered the question. So we have to ask ourselves, if you're going to have a great year, you need to ask yourself this question. What is the spiritual hunger of your soul? Whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-Christian, what's the spiritual hunger of your soul? And second, will you recognize that Christ is the answer to your spiritual need? You want to have a great year this year? You have to recognize Jesus is the answer to the spiritual need of your soul. You're not going to have a great year. You could accumulate all the wealth you want to this year, accumulate all the fame and fortune of this life, and not have the need of your soul met, and you'll be a miserable person. You want to have a great year? It starts by recognizing that Jesus Christ is the answer to your needs. Will you commit this year to Christ? We thank you for joining with us today. We hope today's broadcast has been a blessing to you. We'd love to hear your story if our podcast has made an impact in your life in some positive way. You can write us at Walking with Christ, Care of Liberty Baptist Church of El Paso, DO Box 4068, El Paso, Texas 79914. Until next time, this is Dr. Bill Lavender hoping that you have a great week and that Christ will continue to richly bless 